Amen. Thank you, Jane. Great thought. Great song. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We have been for quite some time on Wednesdays when I've been teaching, working our way through the book of Philippians. We're almost done. Uh, planning, Lord willing, uh, to begin the book of Colossians next. Uh, by the way, uh, there's no visitation tomorrow night, no official visitation because of the uh, Bible assembly on, on Friday and uh, Saturday. And since you're going to be out on Friday night, we'll uh, cancel that tomorrow so you can be home. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, I hope you will seize this great opportunity to uh, serve uh, in this Bible assembly thing. It's just a great opportunity. Uh, tonight, um, last week when I talked, we talked about one of the uh, most important practical helps for uh, us as, as Christian people, uh, mental discipline. Uh, Paul gave the Philippian believers a list of eight things to let their minds dwell on instead of the kinds of things that uh, we freely and carelessly allow to dwell in our, in our heads. Uh, wrong thoughts, they ruin everything in our life. Amen. Wrong thoughts ruin our attitude. Wrong thoughts ruin our behavior. Wrong thoughts push us down spirals into depression and anxiety. Wrong thoughts uh, always precede harsh words and immorality of all sorts. And in contrast to allowing unhealthy and untrue thoughts to stay and linger in our mind, uh, we are exhorted to get them out as soon as we recognize them and to instead purposely think on things that are true, uh, things that are just, things that are pure, that list of eight things that the Spirit of God gave us through uh, Paul. And I, I would never uh, describe any of my messages as a great sermon, but I will say this, last week was one of the most helpful, practical thoughts that you could ever take with you to get more, more victories in, in your life, uh, keeping our thought life uh, good and right. And as I mentioned last week, Paul is finally now uh, wrapping up this short epistle uh, to the believers in the city of Philippi. Uh, as he writes, remember he's jailed in Rome over 4,600 miles away at a time when there are no phones, uh, no internet, uh, no means whatsoever uh, to communicate uh, quickly at all. Any kind of communication that occurs is by a personal messenger that travels 4,600 miles. Now, I, I don't know how long it took to travel 4,600 miles, but if you're traveling by land and going 25 miles a day, I mean, that's 180 days. And some of that journey, you had to cross uh, a little portion of the ocean. And, you know, again, I don't know how long that took, but uh, I just bring that up to point out this simple thing. You, you, you know, you would easily and regularly go for months or sometimes even years without communicating with someone you knew well, and it would have been impossible for uh, them to keep up with Paul and impossible uh, for Paul to keep up with them. I mean, think about this. I mean, Rome wasn't sending out information bulletins on the prisoner Paul. 
You know, they took him uh, captive there in Jerusalem, and then in an assassination attempt on his life, they whisked him away by night to the city of Caesarea. He was jailed there for two years, first under the governor uh, Felix, and then under the governor Festus. Then he was tried before King Agrippa. Uh, he appealed to Caesar. He was sent to Rome, and that ship was shipwrecked on the island of Melita. They were delayed for months. They finally get another ship. They go to Italy, and they begin walking up north. Then from the coast to Rome. I mean, the Philippian believers would have had no idea for most of that time what was going on with the great uh, apostle. And uh, we're going to kind of see that in a part of our section of Scripture uh, for tonight. Uh, the title of my thought tonight, if you would stand please, in honor of God's Word, the title of my thought is this, uh, Learning to Be Content. Learning to Be content. Before I start, let me ask you a question. Are you a contented person? Do you know what that means? Would the people who know you well describe you as content? Or would they describe you as regularly discontented? Good question. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in the Word of God in verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. By the way, before we go on, notice how he makes us pause on every one of them. It's, you could have just put a comma and, and put the word, but he purposely keeps repeating whatsoever things, whatsoever things. Each one of those is an important aspect of our thought life. We talked about that last week in verse 9 we begin tonight. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. The God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Thank you. you might be seated. After touching on the importance of putting good thoughts into their minds and purposely dwelling on those things instead of the other things that our minds much more naturally are drawn to, Paul changes the subject. I mean, after all, he had just said finally, and so he's closing out this short letter, and he is sort of uh, changing subjects and adding some last-minute thoughts to this church who was especially dear to him and to individual believers who were especially dear to him. He had spent a lot of time in the city of Philippi. I mean, you may remember, uh, he paid a big personal price to plant the church there. I mean, you may remember, that's where he took the beating in Acts chapter 16. Remember when he and Silas were uh, praying and praising God, singing praises and praying uh, at midnight uh, in the jail? Uh, you remember that story? 
Uh, and it seems as we go through the book of Acts that whenever he passes through the region of Macedonia, he always goes to Philippi and pauses in that city. It was a especially dear place and people to him. And as he begins to close out now, he continues by next exhorting them to follow the example he had set for them in verse 9. These, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And I've got that little word in my uh, Bible, do. I've got that circled. And the God of peace shall be with you. You see, there were some things that they had learned and received from Paul. He had taught them, and they'd understood, and they had received what he had taught them. Now, there are plenty of things that people are taught that they choose not to receive. Uh, I just the other day was talking to somebody, and they were talking about a, a church, uh, and he had went somewhere and saw one of their deacons drinking alcohol. It just crushed him. Listen, that man didn't do that because he had heard and uh, received what he had been taught. Listen, at Bible Baptist Church, there are a lot of things that you hear and that are explained to you, and you choose whether to receive them or not. And the Philippian believers had heard and received things from Paul, and receiving the things that we learn, it is a choice that we each must make. But it wasn't just that they had learned and received these things from Paul. There were some things they had heard and seen Paul uh, when he was with them. You see, his example backed up what he had taught them with his words. And though we should verbally teach the right things to those who look to us, please hear me when I say this, the people who are with you most in life learn more from your example than they learn from your words. That is true for children, that is true from, from grandchildren, that's true with the people you work clo most closely with. People learn most from our example. Our children will forget our words much more easily than they will be able to ignore our example. And though Paul was a humble follower of Jesus, he was confident in what he had taught and how he had lived and that what he had taught and lived pleased God. I mean, that's quite an amazing thing that Paul would say, hey, the things I taught you, what you've seen and what you heard in me, do those things. Now, <laughs> I do try to live a sincere life, but I got to tell you, I, I have never, to my knowledge, said to anybody, follow my example. Uh, Paul, he really was confident in what he was doing. You see, God is with every true believer from the moment they receive Christ, but some believers have little or no awareness of God's presence or help in their life because their behavior and their attitude and what they allow in their heart and mind has grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit. Paul here gives a recipe for them to have God with them, to be close to God in their life. He said, you learned, you heard these things, you've seen these things in me, I taught them to you, you receive them, do those, and God will be with you in a special way. Uh, <laughs> you may disagree with this, but I personally believe the worst and most harmful things that any parent or grandparent can do to a child is claim to be a believer in Christ and live in a way that doesn't reflect that. Amen. I mean, I was a teen leader for 20 years, almost 21. I'd have much rather had a teenager whose parents were unbelievers 
than have a teenager whose parents claim to be Christian and lived in an ungodly manner or a lukewarm manner because that parent and grandparent, they have defined what it means to be Christian in the mind of, of, of that child and teenager. And so I, I was working against what they saw in their home. Have you ever paused to consider that most people outside your home, they're really not going to hear you articulate what you believe and why. They will only have your example. What they hear you say, what they watch you do. Paul had set a good example. His instruction had been consistent with the scriptures that were around already at that time, and his example was consistent with what he taught. Understand, this was not something that he could say unique in the city of Philippi. Keep your hand there, go back in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 4. To the best of our knowledge, the longest time Paul spent in any city was Ephesus. And if my memory is right, I think he spent three or three and a half years there. Uh, he spent, as far as we know, the second most amount of time in Corinth. He spent 18 months there. Again, if my memory is right. And the, Philipp the Corinthian believers, after he had left them, that, that church kind of spiraled down and they had a lot of problems in the church. He tried to straighten those things out in the letter of 1 Corinthians. But he says something to them that really reflects Paul's confidence that he was doing what Christ wanted him to do. Notice what he says to them in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15. He says, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. In other words, he was the one who started the church there, won many of them to the Lord, uh, taught them. Uh, says, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul had ways he taught everywhere in every church. There's a New Testament model for what a church should be. Paul taught that. And the Corinthian believers seem to have just decided that, you know, you, you know Paul, he, 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 his speech is a little rude, and you know, you know he's a little bit too pointed at times. Uh, they decided to follow other people. And Paul, in this letter, as the Spirit inspires him, he says, listen, folks, follow my example. What an incredibly powerful thing to say. Go up to chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians 11. Of course, Paul pointed people to follow Christ first. But he was also confident in his example of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, I don't think any of us can live with the kind of character and faith and consistently that the great apostle did. But you know what? All of us can live with a sincere true and faithful Christian life that's worthy to be imitated. Like I said, I don't know that I've ever said to my children or to anybody that I'm aware of, uh, follow me, follow my example. I, I don't know that I've ever said that. Paul said that, but I do believe that we ought to all try to live in such a manner that if someone does follow our example, they will be following Christ. That's what Paul told them. 
I hope your testimony is that you could say to your children, hey, follow my example and attitude. Follow my example in the peace and joy in Christ that you live with. Follow my example in the walk you have with God. Follow my example in the way you're faithful to the things you do for Christ. I hope you're confident in your private walk. You, you can be. I don't know how you can be as confident as Paul and still remain humble, but he did. Listen, I would exhort every Christian here to be very conscious of your example. We are all examples whether we like it or not. The only difference is we will either be a good example or a bad example. By the way, thank God for faithful followers of Jesus by whose example we were able to learn and be blessed. I go back and uh, especially in the early decades of my Christian life and, and even still uh, to people who have been faithful examples in my life of what it means to be a Christian. Faithful husbands, faithful grandparents, faithful wives, faithful parents, faithful servants in ministry. I, I mean, thank God for people like that, and I hope you'll put in your heart that you want to be one of those. See, faithful examples are not sent by Christ into our life for us to nitpick them. Of course, they're human. While wow, you figured that out on your own, while well, you're headed for a brain surgery, I'm sure, to be a brain surgeon. Listen, God, God, God doesn't have any perfect examples except for Christ. But he did set people in our life so we can follow their example and learn, amen? And Paul begins there as he's closing out this letter, if you'd go back to the book of Philippians, we see secondly that the church in Philippi had helped Paul financially in several occasions. In verse 10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Here he uses the phrase care of me to describe their financial support. And as I said earlier, because Paul had been uh, arrested in Jerusalem, whisked away to Caesarea, spent two years in jail there, and then sent to Rome, shipwrecked in the sea for months, and then traveled up through Italy to Rome to be imprisoned there, you know, they hadn't had opportunity to support him like they had. And then now uh, they had caught up with each other and they actually had sent a man named Epaphroditus to take their financial gift to him in verse 18. He says, but I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing uh, to God. He, he, Paul is very clear uh, when it comes to the truth. But he's also very sensitive to not want the, him, the, Corinthian, or the Philippian people to think that he thought they had been negligent. He said, you, you guys have cared for me, but you lacked opportunity. And now uh, they had caught up with him. They sent him some financial support. Paul rejoiced greatly in that. And he likens it to an Old Testament picture. If you're 
familiar with the temple and the Levitical law, uh, there was a special incense that God had prescribed the Israelites to burn, and the priests would take that and in several different places, most often at a place called the altar of incense, they would burn that, and the Bible on several occasions describes that as a sweet-smelling savor uh, to the Lord, and Paul likens their generosity to him, and sending Epaphroditus 4,600 miles to him to find him, he likens it to that. Now, the church's financial support of Paul was nothing new. It's only their delay had been new. Notice in verse 14, he talks about their previous support. He says, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my uh, affliction. Again, that's terminology to describe their gift to him and him being afflicted in in jail. Verse 15, he says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, and Macedonia is the area Philippi was in, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. See, when Paul was run out of the city of Philippi, uh, he went next to take to the gospel to the city of Thessalonica, and his co-worker Luke stayed back to help that new church and those new believers. And when he was in that first city, uh, he says, hey, you guys are the ones that financially supported me twice uh, when I was there. Uh, By the way, missionaries in the New Testament were supported by local assemblies of believers. They were not supported by mission boards. They were not supported by denominations. They were supported by local churches. Paul had been sent out as a missionary from the church in Antioch. That was his home church. That was the base of his missionary operation. It was where he went back and checked in and reported in. Uh, But the other other churches, including Philippi, they supported Paul's work financially. And by the way, our missions program here as an independent Baptist church is modeled after the New Testament. That's why we do what we do. We'll talk about that more on a Sunday night in a few weeks if the Lord uh, tarries. Now, it's kind of interesting as we think about uh, their track record in giving to him that Paul makes note of the fact that their giving produced fruit in their heavenly account. Did you catch that in verse 17? He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Hmm. Interesting. You see, Paul wanted them rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ more than he wanted their money. Uh, Did you know that the account you have at Fifth Third or GE Credit Union, those are not the only accounts you have? Did you know that according to Jesus, uh, every believer has a heavenly account in which they either lay up treasure or leave empty? Keep your hand there, go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. 
Bible preachers aren't preaching for you to give like you should because they want money. They're preaching for you to give like you should because they want fruit in your account. Notice what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Again, Jesus compares a heavenly account and heavenly treasure and an earthly account and earthly treasure. By the way, isn't it a shame that so many people will have swollen accounts on earth and empty accounts in heaven? But not only, and you can go back to Philippians, not only does it, are we reminded that there is an individual account in heaven where we either lay up treasure, uh, there seems to also be like there's an account in heaven for each church. Each assembly, giving to missions and missionaries is at least one thing that affects the amount of fruit in a church's account. You see, when an individual contributes at Bible Baptist Church to taking the gospel to the world or taking the gospel to America or taking the gospel to our community, we're putting fruit not only in our own account, but we're putting fruit in the account where church, in the church where Christ has placed us. By the way, I believe that if you are a part of Bible Baptist Church, any part of fruit you put in the heavenly account for Bible Baptist Church will someday help you when you face Christ. God rewards faithfulness. Now, I don't know how missions giving at Bible Baptist Church compares to other churches. I don't know how your giving as an individual uh, to missions compares to other believers. I don't know what part you're trying to play in evangelism here. I do know this, God is putting fruit and treasure in the heavenly account of faithful believers who help. Now, when it comes to managing our resources, I always recommend people have an earthly emergency fund. When I do premarital counseling for people, I always recommend that they have a vacation and Christmas account that they open. I always also recommend that they save for retirement. But managing our money well uh, that the Lord has entrusted to our care after we've given the first tenth to the Lord's church, it makes a big difference in life. And it makes a big difference not just in how our life will go, but how generous we can be. But I don't just recommend people manage their money well here. I recommend that everybody lay up treasure in heaven. Uh, I recommend you do things that matter to Christ. Uh, I recommend that you give and participate in things that further the gospel. Whether it's directly in this church, whether it's something you directly do in the limelight or indirectly do in the shadows. Listen, I, I believe when we fill whatever part God has uh, gifted and placed us here to do, we're doing our part. Doesn't matter if anybody else sees it. Listen, you, you may disagree with this, but I, I believe you'll put some heavenly treasure in your account helping assemble Bibles. 
I believe you put some treasure in your heavenly account when you participate in our flyer distribution. So I can't walk anymore. Uh, listen, if you can't walk anymore, spend two hours praying for it. God will put that in your heavenly account. So I don't even know if I could pray two hours. Hey, just get out a map and, and begin to pray for one road at a time where the flyers are going. See, see we, we, just, we, we really don't want to do what we can do. It may seem silly to you, but before we started the church, I personally, I walked down every single road that we were putting a flyer in their door and prayed for the people on that road. And I walked down the road, every one of them, at least far enough to be able to see the end. Why? Listen, I believe that without God, we can't do anything that matters. I want you to have fruit in your heavenly account. Listen, I don't need your money. Listen, I'm like everybody else. I could spend more money. But I don't need your money. I want you to live a blessed life. I want someday, when you face Christ, you give it account of your life, I want you to be able to look back and say, wow, you know what? I'm glad I was a part of Bible Baptist Church. And that inspired me to do more for Christ than I would have otherwise done. See, the Philippian believers were laying up treasure in heaven uh, through, their through their missions giving, fruit in their heavenly account. Are you doing anything to put fruit in your heavenly account? Are you doing anything that adds fruit to the Bible Baptist account? Which gets us to our last thing. Number three, Paul had learned to be content whether he had money or not. Notice in verse 11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want. So he's talking about their gift uh, from verse 10. You know, they were always careful to support him. They lacked opportunity to support him. But now after all this time, they had sent him this gift. He flourished because of it. Uh, he rejoiced in the Lord because of it in verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. By the way, you ought to highlight that phrase in your Bible. That's a key, practical Bible statement. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Notice contentment is learned behavior. I don't believe anybody is naturally contented. Uh, one of the greatest Christian qualities we can build into our life is contentment. Now, I don't debate that it's not easier to be contented when our health is good and our wallet is full, but health and wealth don't guarantee contentment. Contentment is learned behavior. It is not a product of our environment. Listen, there are a lot of people in great environments they're very discontented. I don't debate it being easier to be contented for some natural dispositions than others. But our natural disposition doesn't guarantee our contentment. Contentment is learned behavior. It is not a product of our natural disposition, and there are people of natural dispositions of all sorts who are both contented and discontented. Contentment is a choice. Are you a contented person? What would the people closest to you say? What would the Lord say? 
See, contentment doesn't mean you don't have any dreams. It doesn't mean you don't have any plans to better yourself or your future or your family. It it doesn't mean that. It means that where you are right now, you're contented while you're doing the things to better yourself and your family. Are you a contented person? See, contentment isn't something we're waiting to get when we have more stuff and better circumstances. For some of you in here who are younger, you, 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 you may be thinking, well, if I made this much money, then I'd be contented. If I had this size of house, then I'd be contented. If I had this car, then I would be contented. If I had this toy to play with, then, then I would be contented. Uh, listen, I have been blessed to live long enough and have enough stuff and success to say, you know what, <laughs> at the point I I thought, hey, if I get there, I'll be contented. I got to that point, and you know what I learned? I wasn't any better off than I was before. And in my heart and mind, I just picked a new point to pretend contentment would begin there. Contentment is learned behavior. It is the way we decide to live. See, Paul, he knew how to be abased, In verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. He knew how to be abased. To be abased is something someone else does to you. Now that moment when Paul wrote this, to be abased meant that his freedom and his finances and all those things had been taken away from him by Rome and now for over two years. At other times, being a base to Paul meant that he was jailed. It meant that he was lashed. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He was beaten multiple times. He, he had been lied about by uh, the Jews. He had been lied about by other Christians. He had conflict of all sorts with Christian people who departed from the faith that Christ had placed him there to stand for. He knew how to be abased and he knew how to be contented even when he was being abased. And to abound means that you've got the things that your heart desired. He was contented in both. Which brings up an interesting question. How in the world can I be contented when I'm being abased? How can I be contented when I'm not abounding? How can I be contented when I don't have what I think I need and I don't have the things I want? He answers that question. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It was the strength of Christ that helped him abound when he was being abased and when he abounded. It was the strength of Christ that helped him remain contented when betrayed by friends, separated from family, and facing the persecutions of the cross. It was the strength of Christ that caused him to see something more than the snapshot of the difficulty of that day for the video of what it would one day be when he was with Christ. How could Paul make that choice? The strength of Jesus Christ. By the way, verse 13 is one of the first Bible verses biblical Christians learn and memorize, as it should be. It is a great truth and a great promise to us as believers. Now, the interpretation of this verse is really clear. Through Christ and His strength, you can choose to be contented, whether you're in the depths of poverty and difficulty, or whether you have all the things and success your heart longed for. That's the interpretation of this verse. 
that's this verse not rested from its context. But again, don't think for a moment, uh, well, I'm discontented now, but if I had a bigger house, I'd be contented. Well, I'm discontented now, uh, but if this happened, then I would be content. Don't, Don't think that. If you cannot learn and find contentment where you are right now, you will not learn and find it somewhere else. The interpretation of this verse is clear, but there are a lot of applications of this great promise, just like there are a lot of misapplications of this great promise. It does not mean that through Christ you can be a professional basketball player if you have very little talent and you're not much of an athlete and you're five foot seven. It does not mean that you will be an effective preacher, teacher, or singer if God has not given you natural gifts and spiritual gifts in those areas of life and ministry. It does not mean that you can just be and do whatever you put your mind to because you belong to Christ. Though anybody who accomplishes anything puts their mind and heart to it. Listen, I am not good with my hands. Uh, this does not mean that I can pull open the uh, hood of my car that's not working and say, well, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me and just start tearing things up. Listen, by the way, I'm very good at taking things off. I have a lot of difficulty putting them back. It doesn't mean that. People misapply this truth all the time. When we properly apply it, what it means is that through Christ and His strength, you can accomplish and be anything God has asked you to be and has gifted you to be. Through Christ, you can not only learn to be content in economic success or poverty, you can also choose by the grace and strength of Christ to have peace and joy despite the darkness of your circumstances. Through Christ, you can fulfill your gifts and calling, whether they are gifts that are in public, like prophecy or teaching, or gifts that are in private, like uh, giving and ministry and showing mercy. Through Christ and His strength, you can live faithfully for Jesus Christ, regardless of how sinful you were in the past, regardless of how negligent your family is, or how debased and broken your life was before you came to Christ as Savior. Through Christ, you can be what He designed you to be. Through Christ, you can overcome the circumstances and bad hands, so to speak, someone close to you dealt you in life. How about this? You can be content at Bible Baptist Church despite the imperfections of people at every level, including here. If you haven't recognized my imperfections yet, it's only because you don't know me well. And the better you get to know me, you're going to find out, you know what? Brother Wally's a sinner just like he always says he is. If you're not content at Bible Baptist Church tonight, it's not the church's fault. It's not the leader in some ministry's fault. Listen, we have good leaders at every level in this church. Every one of them is human. I can do all things through Christ 
which strengthens me. I'll be honest with you, the load of trying to lead this church, at times it overwhelms me. It, it does. And I wonder sometimes how I'm going to get through. I, I do. Have you ever really thought about all the things that go on here that, that I have no control over? I mean, all, all the dumb things people say and do that I wouldn't do? Well, that church. So immature. So immature. Holding everybody to standards that you cannot keep. You realize I speak publicly somewhere between fourteen and 20,000 words a week. I can guarantee you some of them are going to be misspoken. Some of them will be incomplete. Some of them will be not well thought through. Some of them will be said with the wrong emphasis. And if you can't live with that, how do you live with yourself? When Sharon and I were parenting our children, listen, there were times when we felt overwhelmed. If you haven't grasped that at some point your children need to begin to flesh and live out what you've taught them and that you have to sit back and take those risks, your children are either young or you haven't opened your eyes yet. And those thoughts... They're overwhelming. You say, Brother Wally, how, how do you stand up there and, and try to pastor this people? How, how did you make it through as a parent? Listen, God chose our children for us. God chose to, me to do what I'm doing tonight. I'll be the first to tell you, He didn't choose me because I'm the best person here. I honestly, sometimes I just get in tears when I think these people are so much better people than I am. What, what am I leading for? We, we, we don't get through anything like that. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, which means I am and can pastor this church. I can and you can parent your children I can and you can fulfill whatever gifts and ministry God has given you in life. Say, so Brother Wally, it's overwhelming. You don't know how warped the home I was raised in. You don't know how bad the marriage my parents had were. You, you don't understand the mental and spiritual battles I, I have every day. You're right, I don't. But I do know this. You can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. And be a contented person if you're a faithful believer in Jesus. Through Christ, you can learn to be content. You bow your head and close your eyes.